0: Welcome to Shireen Conversations. I'm your host, Margina Paravon. On today's episode, all the way from London, I am joined by my friend, Holly Dagris. Holly is an Iranian-American analyst and commentator on the Middle East with a focus on Iran. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. It's so great That's to so see good. you after all these years and chat. I know. It's been forever. We were just talking about this before we started recording, so it's been so long. But before we really catch up and start the questions, I really wanted to educate my audience of who you are. You know, you're a non-resident fellow um, at the Washington-based organization, the Atlantic Council. Um, You're also an editor of the council's Iran Source blog and a curator of a weekly newsletter, The Uranus, which I am a fan of. I love it so much because you do such a great job with that column. I mean, you get so many stories, but you give it to us in a way that's like bite-sized pieces, the most important stories for us as readers who are not close to Iran or never been to Iran that doesn't understand those things. So I think that's so incredible. Can you give us a little bit of why um, that was something really important for you to start?
1: Um, Yeah, um, I I started in 2015. So maybe some of your listeners are familiar with The Skim, which is a daily newsletter that two journalists, I believe, at NBC started. And so I remember seeing that in 2015 and being like, whoa, why don't we have something like that on Iran? Um, As somebody who works on Iran day to day, um, it's so hard to explain Iran. And there's a lot of articles out there and just trying to understand what's happening in the country on a weekly basis can be really tough. So I decided that I was going to start this free newsletter that I um, send out weekly. And
0: so it's been something I've been doing, I can't believe now, for five years. That's amazing. Anything more than like a month, I think, is like acknowledgeable, like clap your hands for it. But five years is insane.
1: Yeah. And I I mean, I I must confess, sometimes it gets a little overwhelming, especially with the Iran news cycle in the past couple of years or so. Um, It's, it can be really intimidating to do a newsletter. And I must confess, I do slack off sometimes. I think it's just, I I think it's just the nature of when you're, when you're just so busy with other things that you can't focus on stuff like that. But that's not because I'm not working on Iran. I'm doing interviews or writing and when there's breaking news, it can kind of be tough when it's constant, like hour by hour, and then trying to summarize that into a newsletter for people can be um, problematic.
0: But I do my best, but thank you. <laughs> well, you do a great job. So I will say that if the people that are listening have not subscribed, please do. It's uh, incredible. I love it. It really does help me understand it in a way that's, you don't have to switch through news channels. You're always finding and hearing different things. So you source it and you you summarize it in a way that's like, okay, I get it. I understand. it. I can be knowledgeable. I can speak to it. So Holly and I met back in early 2009. We were just talking about the photos that I found. I can't believe it's almost been like what, 10 years now. Um, It's insane. But um, I laugh thinking about it. Literally when I reached out to you, I was like, I can't believe all of these nights that we had and all these photos that I see. But shortly after you and I met, you had moved to Cairo for school and you stayed there. Um, So you received your master's in political science, correct?
1: Yes, I I went to the American University in Cairo. I actually moved to Cairo because I wanted to be a Middle East analyst and the Arab Spring in 2011 had kicked off. And I I realized that if I want to be a Middle East analyst, why am I trying to be one in America? I should actually go and see this transition from dictatorship to democracy, which unfortunately now has reverted back to a dictatorship. But at the time, there was just so much hope in the region. And that's why I moved out there.
0: That's incredible. So when you moved out there originally for that to be an analyst, and you were going to school, how did you actually jumpstart your career? Was it something super like you had to find the platform that you were like that aligned with you? Or were you like, I have to just take anything just to get into this world?
1: Well, um, because I was a full-time student, I I couldn't really do a lot of journalism on the side. And I must confess, I didn't have any journalism degree or background. I had studied political science undergrad at UCLA. Um, I would say Twitter played a big role in my career, and it still does. Twitter was relatively new. It played a, a big role in amplifying the voices of some of the English language speakers of the Arab Spring. And I was very proactive on Twitter when I was in Cairo and uh, a lot of people liked my analysis and I started getting picked up. People, I remember Voice of America asked me to write something and I I was super excited. And the funny thing is at the time I didn't have an, an area expertise or country expertise and Iran was the last thing I actually had in mind. I was just Even though I had actually spent my formative years in Tehran, I was there from nineteen ninety-nine till two thousand six and graduated from high school there. I never thought that, oh, I should just work on Iran because I know it better than most people that work in my field. So I, I think living in Egypt, kind of speaking to Egyptians, even though technically we're still in the same reason region, they couldn't understand that Um, What Iran was like and that it's not what the news kind of portrays it and so I ended up falling into this area where I was focusing on Iran and, and and the more tweets and stuff I wrote about Iran the more amplification I got in the media
0: I love that. And what I find super unique about you, for those that don't know you, is that, again, your upbringing. You did live in Iran. You were born in Los Angeles to an immigrant mother from Iran and a father that's American. So for you living in Iran, going to school in Iran and all of this, even like now really focusing on Iran, was it hard for you to be kind of like, quote unquote, half Iranian? Did people give you a hard time saying "Um, you're not full Iranian or anything like that? Did you ever have to battle with that? Certainly, I mean,
1: I think most of my life I've lived like a chameleon, and I kind of enjoy um, that people don't think I'm Iranian enough or yeah. or whatnot, and and because they they assume because I have a Western sounding name, and to some people, depending on who you ask, some will say I don't look Iranian, um, and they're always shocked at my fluency in Persian or my knowledge. And um, I, I like throwing people off guard, if anything. And I I, I yeah. think it's amusing. So I don't really take it to heart when people don't think I'm Iranian enough. But they only assume that because they don't know who I am. And they assume it um appearances or... And whatnot. But once they get to know me, I think they get a sense, and some will say, Oh, is that's why I met you. Know, they can't even speak Persian. So, true. I, I had this incident just the other day. I went to, uh, this is going to be funny for I love it. Yeah. Because we're Iranian, but we have hair issues. So I went to my, get some laser done. And the lady that happened to be working on me was Iranian. And she was she was like, wow, like you speak better than my kids. And I was just like, yeah, yeah. well, I lived in Iran. So there's that, but I, I don't really take it to heart. And I think if there's any Doragas listening to this conversation, you shouldn't either. You should just find it amusing and know that yeah. you get
0: the ability to move in and out of these different cultures. And I think that's incredible. Like, again, like you said, it's like, for me, I see you, I I, I feel like you're Iranian hardcore, like not just because of your experiences, but just uh, speaking to you. Like when I first met you, it's, you, were, you, were, you felt like you were homes in a way that you brought both Iran and America to me, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think I get what you mean. I think I brought an understanding to Iran that was familiar to you because yes. we were so relatable and... And that's actually what I do in my work, and I think it reflects that. Um, I know we we tend to fit, um, focus on the clerical establishment and whatnot. And I, when I even when I do my work, I like to focus on article writing articles like how Iranians are obsessed with Game of Thrones or um, how there's um, K-pop Instagram channels dedicated just in Persian language and stuff. And so that's like what I try to do is like bridge that gap to show that Iranians and Iran, they might be isolated internationally or you haven't been back in 40 years or have never been there, but look, they like and do a lot of the same things you and I do in America. And so that that's
0: kind of what my, my goal is. And I'm glad that you feel that way about me as well. (laughs) No, I'm not just saying that it's the truth. And you said it earlier, your Twitter career really like helped pivot you to where you are now. And I remember you're right. Twitter had just started when you and I met and I would follow you on Twitter. And like, again, we only had what 140 characters that we can really say what we wanted to. And you really emphasize your point in a way that anyone who, wherever you're from will understand exactly what you're trying to say.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that is my role is to simplify things because you want the average American to get it. If you if you're speaking about Iran in terms that are like hard for the average American to grasp, like basically saying, "Hey, they're like us," even though it is really simplifying things on Iran. I mean, it it, it paints a human picture. It makes people think twice when they talk about bombing Iran. And mm-hmm. I and I'm not saying that the United States is planning to bomb Iran, but we did almost have that situation in January. Of this year, after they yeah. killed X-Force Commander Ghassam Soleimani, there was an escalation. And we, I remember there was just a couple of days or so where I didn't sleep at night because I really thought that war was going to happen. But there are a lot of Americans that, yes, have become anti-war because of the 2003 Iraq invasion and whatnot. But there are also other Americans that think, well, we should do something. We mm-hmm. need to act and so you really need to humanize people or else they can't see the other side and that's kind of the goal i and my aim
0: here yeah and i love that you use the word humanize i use that really often in my my work in on the marketing side too when you're trying to speak to individuals who've never been to a fitness class for example and you're trying to market to them you have to familiarize them in a way that's going to be really understandable to them cuz yes i can say this beautiful thing, shiny, glossy, some people might understand it, but certain people don't. So you have to find that perfect medium that you can speak to all different types of people. So I love that you do that. Thank you. Of course. Because of your experiences, you often are asked to speak at schools to share your experience and knowledge of growing up in Iran. Why do you find that so important to you? And why do you do it?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, I don't, I don't, um, usually offer it to people. I think that when people find out I lived in Iran, they are like, wow, that's an interesting story. Like come speak to our kids about that experience. And, um, I do it again. It's to paint that human picture. Um, I mean, when we were growing up, the only picture of Iran we really had was the movie, not without my daughter. Oh my God. Yes. Sally Field. And so, and that was the only Hollywood depiction of Iran at the time. And everybody w- was very, um, I-, I would say everybody, I would say the Iran hostage crisis was still very fresh in the memories of the older people living in the United States, um, the not our, the, our parents' generation. And they had to deal with all this anti-Iranianism. And that kind of faded away during the 90s um, under President Mohammed Khatami with his reformist movement. And then 9-11 happened, and then everybody was demonized if they were Muslim. And that that kind of became the thing. And then uh, it, it became um, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, who was a Holocaust denier and the nuclear program, which is a controversy to this day. Mm-hmm. And so the, the face of Iran has always been its leaders and Again, if you don't try to explain what things are like, and I'm, and I, I'm not trying to um, sugarcoat things on the ground in Iran. Iran's a tough place to live. But for me, that experience of just being able to communicate that, hey, they're just like us, like I said, they're hu- to humanize them and to start at such a young age, whether they're in middle school or high school it'll give them a better understanding of the world around them. And I think that we're such a multicultural country. It's hard to not live in a big city and not meet an Iranian at least once in your life, but you go to rural parts of America. I mean, my husband's from Wyoming. When we got married, there were people at our wedding who quote unquote had never met a Muslim before and were so excited that there were Muslims there because they'd never met one. And for them that was like such a big deal. And they had such so much fun at our wedding, our multicultural wedding. We had like okay. a soccer ad and Persian music and Arabic music. And they were they were having a blast. And they, it was such a nice, um, I would say I don't mean to go on a different direction talking no, about. Oh please. But but and it was like a United Nations. And that's the kind of thing that I, I encourage and I love. And that's the kind of message I'm trying to give when, when I'm talking to young Americans, be it in high school or middle school.
0: I love that. I was actually going to ask you before you actually put, um, painted that picture for us, what do you hope they take out of your conversations? And just that, like what you said, it's like you can bring the cultures together and it's beautiful. Out of all my friends, and I told you this right before we started recording, you have been such an inspiration to me. Once you moved to Cairo, and I'm not just saying that, I honestly do truly, truly believe it. You've done so much. Like I said, I feel, it doesn't feel like we've only seen each other or hadn't seen each other in 10 years. Like Social media has helped because I see you, I see your pictures, but I feel like every time I would see a photo of you or a story written by you, it was something new. And it was it really did empower me. And that's why I really wanted you to be on this um, podcast because you know, you really, you you went to Cairo, you did your thing, you knew exactly what you wanted, and you didn't take any, I mean, I'm sure you did. There's some roadblocks probably, but you you paved your way and you created what you wanted as terms of the message that you want to share, the career that you want for yourself. There's a lot of us that live in a bubble, you know, like you said, you know, there's a lot of times it's a stress from parents, it's society, it's different things. What is something that inspired you to truly have these type of conversations that you're having, and the writings, the publications that you're putting out there?
1: I mean, it, 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 I think it's just that I, I don't know. I, I, I was so for. I should start about career choices and just life in general. I've always. Been, I mean, it, it sounds like I'm really perfect on paper, but I have to say that I've been rejected so much in life, um, and I had so many roadblocks to get to where I am, and it was it was tough. It wasn't easy, as you said. I moved to Cairo. I literally packed my bags and moved to a country where I knew maybe one person, mm-hmm. and I left my friends like you my boyfriend my family behind during the right after a revolution had happened in the yeah. country I did that and it was because I genuinely believed and wanted something which as you've mentioned and it was something I just wanted to do I, I had lived in Iran and I had come back to America and I was kind of shocked that Use hadn't really changed after 9-11. I thought people would know better. And I just really wanted to pave that um bridge that divide. And that was just my whole goal here. And now it just turned out that Iran was my calling this whole time and it was under my nose. I guess I had to move to Cairo to really realize <laughs> that. I feel like every every conversation I was having in LA, whether we were at like a reuni, or in the library at UCLA, it was always Iran. It was always yes. the conversation we were having. And even if we didn't want to talk about it and it was just under my nose and I guess I had to move to Cairo to realize that that was my true calling, that maybe I had moved to Iran for this reason. I don't, you know, you just don't yeah. know where your life is going to end up. I certainly as a 12 and a half year old didn't think I was going to be moving to Iran, but there I did with my mom and my yeah. stepdad, and it, it's crazy how life ends up that way. And even then, I, that was the last thing I wanted to do. I think there was a phase where I wanted to be a pop singer like Britney Spears, and Same. I wanted to be a doctor. So, like, yeah. who wanted who? When did I ever want to do politics? But here I am talking to you about it, and I genuinely love working on Iran. Like all those books behind me, your readers can't see it. Those are all Iran books, like these two rows. And these aren't even the ones I have in America. Somewhere. So yeah, so it's just something I genuinely love. And I, I to your listeners, um, I encourage them that to follow their passion and what they enjoy. The money will come later.
0: But if you don't do what you love, you're not going to ever be happy. I agree with you. And I think that's really the motivation for my podcast too. Like you and I said, it's, I wanted to, that was my dream was to be a journalist. And um, I put that on the back burner because, you know, I got comfortable or I didn't think there was money in it or what it could have been, or I didn't see people who look like me in the media. So, I mean, it's taken what, 15 years for me to finally get to a place where I started this podcast. That's a a move, a stepping stone to that direction. But I think what you said is perfect. It's don't allow those, you know, those thoughts in your mind to be the one thing that holds you back from what you want to do. Like you said, it, it was right under your nose, but a lot of times it is under our noses and we're just too afraid to acknowledge it. So before we end this, I want to ask you, what's next for you in your journey?
1: Oh, wow. Well, 2020 certainly been a year for all of yes. us. Um, I've tried not to plan too much ahead because, um, I, I mean, we've learned, yeah, there, it's kind of pointless. Um, I mean, I'm just going to continue to do what I'm doing. Um, It's an interesting time to be working on Iran. We have a new um, administration coming in on January 20th. Um, And from what I garner, we may or may not have the United States return to the Iran nuclear agreement, which Trump um, withdrew from in 2015. And if that works out, that could seem like a peaceful situation between the U.S. and Iran. But if that continues to lag, I'm a little worried about it escalating into Mm -hmm. something. But... um, yeah, my my focus on it is just to continue to bring an interesting view of Iran and nuance to the conversation on Iran. So I'll be con- continuing to do that in 2021.
0: Well, if there's anything that you want to share before we end this conversation, please do. But again, it was such a pleasure. Like, I don't want this to be the last time we speak and I don't want it to go another nine years, but... Oh. I truly appreciate the time that you have. Again, I believe that, you know, your background, what you've done, all the accomplishments, you've been featured in so many publications, CNN or media, CNN, BuzzFeed, Washington Post. I can name a a thousand. I know you're getting shy and blushing here, but I can only see it growing for you. And I'm really excited to see where the future holds for you.
1: No, it means a lot. It really does. You know, um, working in this field isn't easy sometimes. So it means a lot. You're telling me all this. And for your listeners, um, please sign up to the Uranus. Yes, the Uranus.com. It's free. It comes in your inbox once a week. And if you're really Fuzul and you're on Twitter, you can follow me at, at dagress. So I'm look forward to talking again on shooting conversations.
0: For more inspiring interviews, head on over to shooting conversations.com. If you like today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcast. And don't forget to rate and review and follow on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Sheeting Conversations. You can also watch episodes on YouTube. I'm Majina Paravan, and you've been listening to Sheeting Conversations. Thank you.